everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto assets. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi. As some of you know, I was in Berlin Blockchain Week and had awesome interactions with so many people. As part two of the Berlin Blockchain Week series, I speak to Frederick Hager from Dune Analytics. Did you know that one in every 110 people own an Ethereum address? But is this the right metric to look at? What about retention rates of crypto-related products? In this episode, me and Frederick discuss why the adoption rates of crypto products and even permission blockchain applications are still super low today and what successful crypto products would look like. Before we start, here's a shout out to one of our sponsors, CBX, which is a multinational exchange with clients in over 50 countries. I've recently started using CBX, which has been a delightful experience. Also, it's always a benefit to personally know the founders of CBX who have quite an experienced background in financial markets. And so I place great faith in the operations and security of this exchange. What's more, CBX regularly has new project listings and many promotions. And just by having an account, you'll be entered into the airdrops program on a weekly basis. So I invite you all to check them out at cbx.one to trade your cryptocurrencies. I'd really like to thank those who've been supporting the show. I remember you could support us in any way possible. You could subscribe, rate and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. Thank you and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Encrypted and this is a second part to the Berlin Blockchain Week series. So I'm here in Berlin Blockchain Week. It's You must have heard the interview with Gavin Wood. This is a second interview I'm doing with Frederick Hager from Dune Analytics. Really, really interesting project. Really interesting guy as well. And yeah, I just wanted to speak to him again on the podcast. Say hello, Frederick. Hey, thanks for having me. So could you quickly introduce yourself? Yes. So I'm a Norwegian crypto guy. I'm the co-founder of Dune Analytics. We make it super easy to instantly visualize and share Ethereum data. So you can see see what's going on. Beyond crypto, I'm, I'm into freestyle skiing and music. All right, cool stuff. So, I mean, I did see your presentation a couple of days back and found it really interesting where you guys were just looking at the metrics of crypto. But before sort of we go into that briefly, I want to know sort of why are you doing this? Like what's the sort of what's driving you to do this? Yeah, fundamentally, I'm very big believer in the idea of crypto and the fact that you can have a global transparent financial system. So that's sort of at, at the core there. And beyond that, we think that even though these systems are currently in theory sort of public and open, in practice they are not because most users cannot and will not actually run a node, look at the data, all of that. So we're trying to make the metrics more accessible. I think that is really important, both for the people building on these systems, but also the actual end users. So if you can see that, okay, this contract handled $100 million and for thousands of people already, you can be much more confident that this system is something you can, can trust as the million and one user, right? So that's one of the reasons why we're, we're doing what we're doing. Okay, awesome. And so, I mean, like you said, clearly it's sort of, it's basically showcasing all the data, all the Ethereum data and making it really easy to look at both for companies and for individuals as well. And in your presentation, you said that a really interesting stat, I think there was 70 million Ethereum addresses and 7.7 billion people in this world. And that translates to around what 0.01% 
or at least, or actually one, around 1%. So in every 110 people, one person has a theorem address, which basically showcases that if you're just like in a, in a big meetup, you're the only one, there's only one real crypto nerd or somebody on stands blockchain and crypto. And what, what, I mean, how do you, like, what, what do you feel about that? Do you feel that as, as an industry, this is, this is a fallback or is this, you know, I mean, it's been 10 years. Why is that the, the case that in one in every 110, there's a stat? I'm not entirely sure that growing that sort of top line metric for, say, Ethereum is the most, most important right now. So some of the other metrics we have, right, with, with retention, with sort of actual usage of the, the products on Ethereum, you see that they haven't really found their product market fit. And I think that if you think about how most startups grow, they find a niche and then they like become really good at solving a problem for that niche. And then, then they grow to, to bigger audiences. And I think sort of the crypto space is still at the stage where you need to make sure that you're really solving a problem for a core group before you want to grow like to, to a broader audience. So I would say that the important thing for, for the next couple of years is probably to get you the, the actual product metrics right. So sort of assuming that the infrastructure, the scaling is like yeah. someone's working on that. I think the really important thing is making sure that this core, let's say these 70 million addresses, let's say there's some tens of millions of, of people actually interacting with these systems. I think the most important thing now is just making sure that you're actually doing something useful for them beyond just speculating on, on crypto. Okay, and so what, what are the, the actual metrics that you guys care about and are, and are basically regarding as important to user adoption and or seeing that there's A, more traction in the space and B, there are more people, whether they're in crypto or not, actually using products? So one thing to mention before I go into exactly what we're looking at is we're also trying to, to allow people to explore the different metrics and discuss what are the best metrics to look at. So our, our product allows for you to, to see what other people are doing. You can see their, their queries, their, their methods for getting to the metrics. And then you can say, okay, I, I don't, I'm not in agreement with this way of doing it. And then you can fork it and, and create your own metric instance. So that's one thing I think we still need to figure out what, what does success look like and, and start when we sort of have more agreement on that, then we can start to, to actually look at those metrics and, and try to grow them. But one thing we've been looking at that I had in my presentation the other day is like some retention metrics, which is pretty interesting. So recently, for instance, obviously like Maker is one of the biggest products on Ethereum and they have DAI. We recently saw that this year they've almost doubled the monthly senders of DAI. So it was about 40,000 addresses in July, for instance, that sent DAI. And you also have Coinbase tutorial where people can open a CDP and, and mint DAI. What we saw then when you looked at the retention is that almost everybody drops off the week after. So they go in, they create CDP, they mint some DAI and get a reward from Coinbase. And then only about 2% came back the week after. So I think these type of metrics are pretty interesting. When, when you have case like Maker where you see that there is something here with this product that makes sense, but still it's hard to retain, retain the users. That's a sign that work needs to be done. Before, before we explore this case a bit further, can you just explain quickly what Maker, DAI and CDP are? Just for those who listen to this, I'm like, what the hell is this? What the hell's going on? Yeah, sorry. So Maker allows you to lock up your Ethereum crypto Ether and use that as collateral, and then you can take out the loan. So in the same way, you put up 
your house as collateral and then you can take out a loan on that. You can put up cryptocurrency as a loan or as collateral and then you take out a loan on that, which is basically dollars flowing on Ethereum, which is probably the biggest product or project on top of Ethereum right now. But yeah, there's still, even though they have very impressive sort of high level metrics, if you dig down, there's a lot of work to be done for this to be sort of everyday useful thing. Yeah, and these positions are called the CDP, which is a collateral debt position. It's basically locking up money and then crypto money, and then you get a loan in dollars for that. All right. So in this case of Maker, so do you guys basically look into, okay, is the product wrong? Is the user experience in Maker wrong? Like what do you guys factor in when you sort of put this data on, on your platform? I think I'm not entirely sure that's for us to answer. I think a lot of people are closer to these products and, and what stages the users actually go to other than us. So we're trying to facilitate the discussion based on metrics uh, and then people, how people change their product experiences for their users is not really something that we're very well like suited to, to answer or, or have a strong opinion about. So we, we more want to facilitate the discussion and, and make sure that it's informed and people are being held accountable for creating something useful, really. All right, so I, I wanted to also get your opinions on a couple of things. So if Bitcoin and Ethereum are falling off a cliff, which one would you save? I guess it depends, but uh, if it's my sort of uh, life savings on the line, I, I might go with Bitcoin. I think uh, Ethereum is still very experimental. So even though I'm, I'm definitely taking a big bet on that with my with our company and career, I, I, I consider Ethereum a very high risk experiment still, to be honest. And so we, we've actually talked about enterprise a lot on, on this podcast. Do you think um, surprises should consider experimenting this high risk experimentation with Ethereum and all these public blockchains that are coming out? Yeah, so I actually worked for a big Norwegian media company called Shipstead Media Group before starting Dune Analytics. And I had a blockchain role there. So I worked for almost a year on blockchain experiments within uh, like an 8,000 people company listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. And I think it's a little bit of a hard question because you do realize that some of these crypto things are still very immature and young. So you need to, as a big company, you need to be very well aware that you're both sort of pushing the boundaries and that this could take a, quite some time. So you need to be in a setup where there's not necessarily immediate pressure to to roll this out to, to millions of users. I think that's what we found that these Capabilities are very interesting. We built like peer-to-peer -peer escrow services for online classified sites. So eBay type of sites where you can lock up funds in a smart contract and then you can tap into the delivery system and see if the, the good was actually sent and whatnot. But it's still, it's still too, too nascent. The, the moment you try to, you need to invoke MetaMask or basically any kind of wallet. It's not feasible for a mainstream product that's like they care a lot about their brand, their all of these things. So that's part of the reason why we we left and started Dune is that we we found that this is gonna take some time before it makes sense. So I'm not sort of holding grudges against the, <laughs> my former employer because it it just doesn't make that much sense for for them to actually pursue this right now. Yeah. So given you've had experience in actually deploying blockchain implementation in sort of an enterprise before, if you could pick a country where blockchain can be fully deployed, where would it be and why? So I, I don't have 
first-hand experience coming from a country where sort of blockchain is extremely needed, to be honest. So I'm from Norway and we have a lot of trust in each other and the financial system and it's frankly working quite well. So so I wouldn't have like this country truly needs it. I wouldn't be the best one to answer that. What I do think is that there's so many possibilities for sort of trusted financial interaction that the current financial system doesn't allow. And I think that if you compare like the internet and crypto, I think that we sort of went from sort of the, in transmitting information, you went from like a letter to a fax to email, and then you have like the open programmable internet. And in terms of banking in a country like Norway, we have like nice mobile payments, a lot of integration, stuff like that. I feel like we've come from, we've come to sort of the email stage where like you can on a smartphone send money to your friends quite easily, things settle quickly, all of that. But we don't have, so, I mean, an email is just a letter online, so to speak, which is like many X nicer, but it's still to a large extent the same experience. While the internet is sort of what was truly revolutionary, the, the actually being able to program logic on top of that infrastructure. And I think that's what crypto enables. And that's something I'm, I'm extremely excited about and think most people are not really seeing those opportunities because they say, oh, I can send a dollar to my friend instantly. So, so I'm pretty happy with that. But it's hard for them to sort of get a tangible image of what more there could be. In the last, in the last episode, I talked to Gavin and and the last thing he said was less trust, more truth, which of course there are, there are a lot of reasons why he would say that. This is, I guess, what the Web3 conference this week was all about. But if there's already so much trust, okay, in Norway, as per what you're saying, then I mean, why would people care about whatever we're talking about in, in this conference, right? You know, who is it for? Why are people doing this? Is, isn't it a paradox, do you feel? Yeah, so I, I don't think it's... Uh paradox it, it's definitely sort of legitimate i think a lot of people in norway would would say okay so the, you're working on a non problem basically but i think that having this infrastructure for for trust or asset transfer really that people can use internationally without like paper mills and and judges and all of the complexities that come with that in different jurisdictions i think you need to have that base layer, which is this trustless infrastructure, right? Which which sort of all the crypto people are talking about. I do think that is going to enable so much exciting stuff. Obviously, people refer to DeFi. It's getting quite interesting. If you, you can get access to dollars anywhere in the world and earn an attractive interest rate right now as, as a savings option. And I think these things, that's definitely just the tip of the iceberg. And that is definitely enabled by by that core trustless layer. And I think that a lot of exciting products that people in Norway, for instance, will find extremely useful in the future is enabled by that. But but the selling point to them might not be like, trust no one. Because like people easily send like $300 to an unknown person and say, hey, can you send me these pair of skis in the post? I hope I get them next week, right? They do that all the time. It's like people have quite a bit of trust in each other, even in strangers. But I still think that crypto enables a lot of exciting stuff beyond what we have. Yeah. So before we end, what was your biggest takeaway from this week's blockchain week here in Berlin? I think usability is coming more and more higher and higher up on the agenda for within crypto, which I think is very, very good to see. I feel like we're maybe not quickly, but slowly sort of transitioning from only fancy tech stuff to actually 
trying to to make sure that we're creating user value. I think there's super exciting wallets that looks very usable coming out. Argent, for instance, is a beautiful interface. So that really excites me that we're coming to that. And I think DAPCON has been a good venue for that. I still think like the core layers have a lot of things they need to to improve and enable anyway. So I think that's important as well. But I definitely think it's time that we also say that, hey, we, we, we need to get real world feedback and usage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to touch upon your point as well, the fact that, you know, there's usually what a 20 step process for anyone to use a DAP or, you know, a blockchain application going on Coinbase, buying ETH, all the way to using MetaMask. I don't even think, I don't think the people listening to this podcast would also go through that process as well. And so even just like if you're using an app, which asks you just for your phone number to register, even that could be a bit inconvenient as well for for many people. It's just, oh, I have to do something Mm -hmm. to use this Mm -hmm. because we're very used to just sort of pressing maybe just one button. Some data is given away and we have access to that application. And yes, 100% usability. I, I, I also were to agree that usability and just the UX as well has been a common theme across this week because... We're still like what, maybe, I don't know, maybe less than 1% in terms of the world population actually caring about crypto. But to get the masses on board, it's, we need real solutions, use cases, and just easier UX and UI. Yeah. Well, all right. Thank you for that. And thanks for coming on. If somebody wanted to get in contact, how could they get in contact with you? Yeah, so you can go to duneanalytics.com to to explore our, our product, where you can see a lot of interesting Ethereum data and eventually other blockchains. Also, I'm at Twitter at HagaETC, so H-A-G-A-E-T-C. And we also have a Telegram group if anyone want to chat or ask questions. Yeah. Also, you're an Ethereum classic fanboy as well <laughs> so that's a bit of a funny one it's actually etc so I, I found that I, I've always liked the just found it fun to say etc um, so that's where that came from I didn't realize after actually quite a, like a couple of years after the Ethereum Classic fork that oh that could actually be interpreted as a Ethereum Classic thing <laughs> but it's not <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for coming on and yeah speak to you again soon thanks for having me it's awesome. Come on.